Let's start the show. Welcome to For the Sake of Phoenix, a podcast by Missio Day Communities where we discuss how a community of God's people can learn to grow in God's ways for the sake of our city. I'm Chris Preby. I'm one of the hosts and one of the pastors of Missio Day Phoenix. We believe the Bible tells one unified story, and it's the true story of the whole world. A story that moves from creation to restoration, where Jesus is the hero and the church is invited to join in his redemptive work. Before I go any further, let me introduce you to my friend, co-pastor, and co-host of the show, Anthony Suarez. You can be known by the creator of the universe and deeply loved. And we as the church are to be an expression of that. We are to be the mediator, the ambassador, the expression of God loving his people. And so now the church is having to navigate, what does that look like in the midst of stay-at-home orders? Well, we're back in the studio, aka my office in the back of a coffee shop. Yeah. Today, we want to talk a little bit about continuing our conversation on how the church pivots in the pandemic, how the church is living as the church in the midst of this COVID-19, quarantine, economic crisis, health crisis. And so we want to focus today on this idea of a scarcity mindset that kicked in pretty early when all this started going down. What's the craziest thing you saw at the stores when all this started happening? Uh, I don't know if I, I didn't really, I don't. I didn't really go to the store a whole lot. Um, my wife kind of ventured out into that realm, um, mainly because I think a lot of that's because typically before all of this, typically when I would go to the store, I would come back with a lot of stuff we didn't need. You know, my, my <laughs> wife would be like, uh, so she didn't you can, trust you anymore. No, <laughs> you know, she's like, we need certain things and I don't trust you to come back with a, what we need and be not of a lot of extra stuff. Um, which again, you know, like, we see a lot of nowadays. So, so my wife kind of ventured into that. And so I didn't, I didn't really go a whole lot into the stores. Um, and I still haven't, I would, you know, I just I kind of stayed away from that. Every time I go to the store, I end up calling my wife anyway, like three <laughs> or four times, you know, like, Hey, yeah. is this the right brand? Is this too much? Cause you know, bro, I FaceTime her that way. It's like, okay, you see this, right? Like, is this the right thing I'm supposed to get? Yeah. Yeah, it, exactly. Right. <laughs> and like, no doubt, every single time, every time I get sent to the store, the last parting words are, if it's not too much, if it's not too expensive, right? I have no concept or understanding what is too expensive and yeah. what's not. So for me, you know, like five bucks for a gallon of milk, I'm like, yeah, that seems pretty reasonable, That's, right? Yeah, what's the going rate for milk? You know, like, know. and I come home it's not five and my wife, looks, <laughs> my wife looks at the receipt and she's like, whoa, why did you buy the expensive milk? And I'm like, I, I have no concept of that. So I don't really do that a whole lot. But I mean, I have seen a lot of things online. Um, I did see a video of a lady just completely buying out a dollar store <laughs> of all of their um, toilet paper and paper towels and napkins and Kleenex. So I got one. I think like the first week this was going down and everyone started buying up TP. I was at a fries and I walked down and, and honestly, like I'm not, I don't watch the news. I'm not really on social media a ton. So I was super, super late to the game. I didn't know what was going on. So I was at the store just getting normal stuff. 
and I go down the aisle where on my right side is the toilet paper and the paper towels. And it was just completely shelves empty. There's three other people in the aisle with me. Uh, there's this one dude who's kind of like pacing, like looking. You know how when you open your fridge and there's nothing there, and then you, but you keep like checking, like somehow magically something other than mustard's going to appear. Yeah. This is what this dude is doing in the aisle. So he's like, he keeps looking like there's got to be something here. And then there's a lady who's hopping on her phone and I'm, she's talking to somebody and she's like, yeah, babe, I don't know. I think we're going to have to like come back at like 5 a.m. tomorrow when they first restock to get some. And then I look to my left. And the shelves on the left are just full of napkins. <laughs> so the paper towels and the toilet paper are gone, and there's tons of napkins. I'm like, hey guys, yeah. this stuff's soft. Like yeah, it's, right? it feels good. Actually, yeah, <laughs> it, it works might too. safe a little bit, but you know, you <laughs> in the pinch, in the emergency, yeah. you got to do what you got to do. And Kleenex, Kleenex, and uh, napkins. Now, it, that started changing. Like people got wise and yeah. bought up every paper product. But yeah, so that was a little bit. That was my first intro to the madness that's been happening at stores. hand sanitizer started going quick um, gloves masks and milk there was one day i went and ice cream was gone i was like oh that's yeah. when you're quarantined to your house you definitely need a lot of ice cream yeah, right so what we're seeing though is this i think this fear stricken mm-hmm. anxiety driven scarcity mentality where yeah. people are going oh no this is getting real I better make sure I have enough in my household for my family and not just enough, but like I better make sure I have way more than enough yeah. just in case. Yeah. Um, and I know that it's going to cause problems in the stores and the next family that comes in, they're going to find an empty shelf. But I just need to make sure me and mine are taken care of. And what's interesting is it actually that mentality, the scarcity mentality fuels more problems in the area of not having enough. Right. Um, and I think of when I was a kid growing up and there were six kids in the house and it was like, if you didn't either eat fast mm-hmm. uh, enough, you weren't getting seconds, right? If you didn't eat fast enough or if you didn't just pile it all on your plate to begin with and you'd see us like just stacking this plate super, super high. And it's like the, whatever siblings were behind you in line were so mad yeah, because <laughs> you weren't leaving any for them. And it was this idea, though, like, but if I don't get it now, there might not be. An, what if I'm hungry after I finish my first helping? Mm-hmm. You know, and so it actually was driving this idea that there wasn't enough it, by taking more than we really needed. Yeah. And it usually starts with a few people, right? Mm-hmm. Like in your example, whoever went first, if everybody if everybody behind them saw that they took a lot, then auto, it automatically triggers this. I'm not going to have enough. Yeah. You know, so if the first person takes, you know, a, a healthy portion but not overdoing it, then everybody behind them has this sense of, okay, I'll, I'll have enough. Yeah. Right? So it usually starts with a few 
And then it just snowballs into this like movement mm. almost, you know? That's true. What's funny is I, I teach a personal finance class at a, at a charter high school. And we talk about this. We talk about, because scarcity, the scarcity mentality is typically talked about in, in economics, right? As, mm-hmm. as, as kind of this economic mentality of, uh, you know, unlimited wants, but limited resources, mm. right? We have limited time. We have limited money. We have limited physical resources, water, um, all of those different things, mm-hmm. food supply. Um. So the scarcity mentality is typically talked about when you make a decision to buy something else, you're choosing, you know, you're, you're choosing to buy this thing over here at the cost of something else. Right. And so, you know, during this pandemic, you'll see people buy a year's worth of toilet paper, but at the cost of what? Yeah. You know, so, um, a lot of people, you know, they're like this lady that bought the whole store, right? So she might not need any paper products for the rest of the year <laughs> with how much she bought. She literally stacked her, the back of her truck and it was, it, I didn't even watch the whole video, but it, it didn't even look like it was going to fit, Yeah, you know, without some tie downs or whatever. That's crazy. So she's good. But at the cost of what? You know, like, is she gonna now going to be able to even afford her mortgage? Right. Um, her electricity bill. Yeah. Her water bill. You know, and so you that's kind of this scarcity mentality of if you're choosing to buy something, it's always at the cost of something else. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. And then it's at the cost of something else to yourself and at the cost of something to the people around you. Right. To your community, yeah. to your neighbors, right? And so... Yeah, what is that, like really thinking through the long-term effects of that decision is not uh, a practice that humans are really good at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, oh, right now. And, and like I said, it's typically this type of thing is driven from fear. Right. And when something's driven out of fear, it's not really thought through. No, it's, it's not just, rational. Yeah, exactly. So how do we as the church then... And when we're in a culture that is getting hit by that and there's like legitimate fears and there is a reality to, like you said, there are limited resources. We don't have unlimited supply. Like we couldn't, we didn't put in that cheat code at the beginning of the game to get unlimited lives. Right. Right. um, There is a, a limitation to things. And so on one hand, we, we do need to make sure like we're taking care of our household. Right. But how do we balance that? As, as followers of Jesus, with also loving our neighbor? What does that look like? I think first, you got to know who your neighbor is mm. and what their needs are. Because mm. I'm like, how, how can I realistically meet the needs of my neighbor or even have them in mind when I'm going to the grocery store if I don't know who they are? You know? Uh, it's just a, a nameless, faceless kind of idea then is that what you're saying like you you wouldn't really necessarily care unless you actually have relationship yeah yeah if i don't have relationship with my neighbor whether that's your well now you can't really venture out a whole lot so it's probably more directly your actual neighbor um but if i don't know my neighbor if i don't have relationship with them if i'm not if i don't have the ability to walk over to them and say hey what do you need and they trust me enough to meet that need um 
then when I go to the store, when I'm when I'm buying stuff, um, all I really have to think about is me. Yeah. There, there's no other. There's no other context. There's, nobody else enters that framework mm-hmm. of who need who else needs something. Yeah. Um, when you're walking the aisles, if you know your neighbor, if you have a relationship with your neighbor, you can say, "Oh, I know they need this, or I know they just ran out of this, or um, I know this is something they love to eat. It would bring them joy right now, so yeah. I'm just going to buy it for them anyway." Mm. Um, so I think we need to start with we have to know who our neighbor is um, before we can have that conversation of how do we meet those needs yeah my neighbor yeah putting a name and a face and a story and mm-hmm. uh and a connection behind all that uh, we've seen that in a lot of different cases where like you know we've talked about people who might have certain ideas about uh, a certain people group altogether, right mm-hmm. and then they actually enter into a relationship of some sort with someone of that people group and it's like, oh, wait, uh, they're, they're different than I thought they would be. <laughs> yeah. Know? I've seen that a number of times happen with, with people that I'm in relationship with. Yeah. Um, refugees, for example, when our missional community was working alongside a, a large population of refugees. And, you know, there's politics behind that. And there's mm-hmm. a political idea of who, quote unquote, those people are. Right. Right. Um, and whether they should be here or not. And. And so we saw a neighbor of ours really start to engage in that mission with us, though, of just loving and spending time with the refugees that were only a mile away from our house. Mm. And he grew such a deep love and affection for them, you know, and it, it didn't match his political ideologies. But now he had names and faces and stories to yeah. his neighbors, like literally they're just a mile away. And so they're whether they should be here or not, in his view, they're here and they're now his neighbor. And now he had a care and concern for them. So I think, yeah, that's so good, man. Just do you, are you crossing that, that fence, that line in the yard and, and getting to know who your neighbors are? Yeah. Which, as you said, is harder to do these days. Yeah. But. yeah and I think, I think that's just the heart of the gospel, right? Love God and love your neighbor. The best expression of loving God is loving your neighbor. And so, how do we love our neighbor if we don't know them? You know, like mm. we all have this deep desire to be known and to be loved, right? Yeah. And so loving your neighbor is knowing them, mm. right? And so um, knowing who they are, knowing their name, knowing their needs, knowing their story. Um, that I mean, even as I... As I just look back, even in my own life, the times that I have felt deeply and truly loved are the times that I have felt deeply and truly known. And the, the heart of Jesus is like, hey, get to know them. Yeah. Know them deeply. These are actual people whom I love, whom I want to know me. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most difficult, one of the more difficult things about this Um this time is it's it's making that more difficult yeah yeah where you're told like this is this is the heart of the church right yeah to be a welcoming group of people that welcomes in the nations that says hey i don't care what you look like or where you come from what your vice is you know like the sin you have done yeah 
you can come to the foot of the cross. Right. Right? You can be known by the creator of the universe. Yeah. And deeply loved. And we as the church are to be an expression of that. Mm -hmm. Right? So we are to be the mediator, the ambassador, the expression of God loving his people. Yeah. Of a deeply known people by a creator God. Mm-hmm. And so now the church is having to navigate, what does that look like in the midst <laughs> of stay-at-home orders? Right, right. Uh, in the midst of don't go out of your house unless you really need to. So how do we do that? How do we be the expression <laughs> of, a, of a creator God who wants to deeply know his people? Yeah. You just gave me an idea. We used to do uh, neighborhood happy hours on our street. And so what would a Zoom happy hour look like with our neighborhood? Yeah. things that I think you said earlier that struck me was part of knowing people is also knowing their needs. And so we're really fortunate that for us, that this is happening in a time we have access to a lot of tools and technology Mm -hmm. to, to discover some of those needs. Right. Right. Um, One of those that I just sent out to our church family yesterday about care portal Mm -hmm. where caseworkers, can enter a need on this website churches in the area of that need get alerted and even even right now when you can't really go and meet people like we can still drop off you know mm-hmm. beds at the mm-hmm. door or things like that clothes dresser food whatever they might need right uh, and then enter into a relationship digitally like through text or email if that person's open to it so like that's one way where we still we can actually get to know our neighbor's needs mm-hmm. even while we have this um, quasi-quarantine where we can't really go out and throw a party or, you know, invite them over for coffee. Mm-hmm. So, but that getting to know their needs and then we're called to to help meet that need as the church. Like Jesus says, everything you've done unto the least of these you've done to me. Like anytime you you fed this person, you were feeding me. Anytime you clothe this person you were clothing me when you when you sat and mourned you know like all these moments of caring for other people who have needs jesus in his words is saying you're actually loving and blessing and honoring and glorifying mm-hmm. me you're caring for me mm-hmm. when you do that because those are people made in my image you know loving god by loving your neighbor yeah 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 and so we're still called to that, even if there's limited resources. And I've always loved seeing, like, there's a lot of times where you see some of the churches even that have the least amount of resources are often, not always, <laughs> but often um, giving yeah. out of an abundance when they have little. And that's the the story, you know, of, of Jesus in the temple, seeing the woman with just two coins that's worth almost nothing. And she's got nothing and that's all she has. And she gives it, you know, she gives it all like giving out of the abundance of your lack even. Yeah. 
And I think about with that, like going back to my childhood scarcity mentality at the dinner table stories, um, you know, for breakfast, it was like everyone gets a one bowl of cereal and you're done because we don't have enough to. Yeah. <laughs> there's eight people here. Right. Uh, which is totally understandable. And it, it, now, like what we've done is we don't put all of our cereal boxes in the pantry. <laughs> yeah, we do that too. Yeah. yeah. We, we keep some in the garage. And so like, all right, here's your box of cereal. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, usually what it is is we're hiding the the life cereal yeah. or, or the stuff that we like <laughs> to make sure there's enough for us. The peanut butter Cheerios. Oh, man. <laughs> then like there, there's, we see like there's moments where they'll start to fight over like that last bowl of cereal. Mm-hmm. And then I get to go like, hey, guys, dad's got more cereal. Yeah. Don't worry. We're not running out. And I think like for me, that has just been a reminder and analogy of like, the whole world is seeing like, oh no, what if there's not enough? And those of us who follow Jesus and who know the God of abundance, the God of the whole universe, we actually get to like peel back the curtain and go like, oh wait, guys, there's more. Mm-hmm. Like dad's got more. Um, we don't have to worry so much. And so I, I think about like the Israelites in the wilderness when God just starts raining food from the sky, yeah. you know, like it's like cloudy with a chance of meatballs, that movie, yeah. <laughs> except it's all flatbread. <laughs> but, uh, and he's like, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. Just go get enough for each day. Trust that there's going to be more the next day, right? Except mm-hmm. for the day before the Sabbath, because I don't want you to, to go and collect anything on the Sabbath. Just rest. So that day you, you can collect twice as much. But otherwise, like you're just getting what you need for that moment. Don't store it up. And... When they would try to store it up, like oh, you're talking about, yeah, yeah like, you, like that lady you mentioned at the store, right? At the dollar store, like she's storing up all this toilet paper she's not going to be able to even use in her lifetime probably. Yeah. Um, what's what's going to happen to it, right? So like they store it more than they need and it rots. And it's like, no, will you trust me that I've got more? I've got more than enough for you. When you run out of what you've worked for, trust that. I'm I'm actually doing the work for you and I've still got more for you. But I want to talk about your thoughts on there's that story of the Bible, but then there's a the story of before that, that that's on the way out of Egypt, the way into Egypt, the story of Joseph being told, Hey, there's a famine coming. Mm-hmm. What do you do? And he, and he commands store up, right? Fill up the storehouses. Um, but there's a little different bent on that that we mentioned last week that you had said to me, like he stored it up so that they could deliver it out to people who had need. Right. So that, yeah, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on those two stories and just the, the contrast of that. Probably just goes back to stewardship. Mm. Um, in the story of Joseph, you clearly see God's hand moving in his life and, and turning what his brothers meant to kill him, turning that his story into something that blesses the nations. What your brothers meant for harm, I'm going to use this to bless the nations so that the nations will know that I am God. Mm-hmm. And so it, it wasn't even necessarily just for Joseph's sake um, that he would be glorified and that he would, you know, that 
Pharaoh would be like, yeah, I'm so glad I made you second in command, man. Like, <laughs> like you're my man, you know, like good looking out. <laughs> but it was so that I, I think just as we look at the story, the grand narrative of the biblical true story is that God is always working and moving towards a goal, towards a purpose to restore all of creation unto himself. And so I think as we, as we process those two different stories of, hey, there's a famine coming. There's this real famine. But Joseph, I'm going to use you and your position, how I've gifted you, how I've blessed you, to let the nations know that, that I am God. Mm-hmm. And then when you leave this place, I'm going to continue to remind you, to remind Israel, who has forgotten him in a lot of ways. I am your provision in all things, whether there's famine whether there's exile, whether you're in a different land, whether you are the stranger or the foreigner, I am your provider. I will provide for your needs. And I think that's echoed again in, in his own words in Matthew 6. He's talking about, guys, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or how you're going to be clothed. Yeah. Like, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. I'll take care of you. Seek me. I will provide for you. Seek me in my kingdom. All these other things are going to be added to you. I will give them. I'm a good God. I'm a good father. And when you seek me, I'll provide. Yeah. You see it again in Matthew 14 when Jesus is feeding that that group of 5,000 people, right? 5,000 people. Men probably Men, only yeah. counted. So then also, who knows how many women and children there. And he does it with the very, very limited resources that they have there. You know, mm-hmm. what's this little boy's lunch? <laughs> you know, a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. And and he takes that and multiplies it. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's got enough for everybody there. And he invites them into that work, though. And then what I, what I've always loved, like, is how he has his disciples go out and distribute that like they get to be bringers of good news hey you guys are hungry i got food for you they get to meet a need even though it's really jesus he's the one who's doing it right Mm -hmm. Uh, but they get to just like partner with him in that and at the end of it there's 12 basketfuls of leftovers for them which is like there's 12 of them so they've come from this whole like missions trip thing where they're super tired and exhausted and now there's this crowd of people listening to jesus teach all day and now they're all hungry and so they've got like nothing left to give themselves. But then Jesus, through them, gives so much in abundance. And then all their needs are met in that process too. Which is like just such a great reminder. Like that's exactly what happened with Joseph, right? Like he was a slave, you know? Mm-hmm. And out of like he had nothing to give. And yet God elevates him to a position where he can bless not only Egypt, but all the nations surrounding and out of out of the land scarcity, God gives an abundance, mm-hmm. which is just incredible. And so I think that's a good thing for like us to think through as the church right now as followers of Jesus. Like what was that um, time of flourishing mm-hmm. that God's provided you leading up to this time of famine, right? What was what was the time of feasting leading up into the time of fasting? What what is God doing or did he do before this season to fill you up? 
so that then as a conduit, like you could pour out to others. in a lot of ways the first couple weeks of the this pandemic hitting there was this kind of like you know almost this like adrenaline rush of mm. you know like both extremes right so this adrenaline rush of like oh dang I don't have enough I need to go buy my abundance yeah right or this other extreme of it's gonna blow over in two weeks we're all gonna go <laughs> You know, life's going to be normal in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I don't know what everyone's so worked up about, you know, like, so almost this completely dismissive. Right. You know, like. And then you I don't, don't prepare at right, all. Yeah. You know? And so um, what's funny, what's funny is one of, one of the fables that my, my uh, six-year-old had to read for, for kindergarten the other day is that fable of the grasshopper and the ants, mm. right? So I'm reading him this fable of this grasshopper who's just singing and dancing all summer long, making fun of the ants who are working, yeah. preparing for the winter that's coming ahead. And then winter comes and he's left with nothing. Yeah. Um, and then he goes to the ants and says, hey, I know you have plenty of food. You guys have been working all summer. Can I have just a little bit or a place to stay? And they're like, oh, now you want, you know, like now you're getting serious. They're like, no, we've been working all, mm. we've been working all summer for this, you know, like leave. And so he walks away hungry and without a place to stay. Mm. So I asked my six-year-old, do you think the ants should have gave him some food mm. and a place to stay? Or do you think they were correct in saying, no, we worked for this. It's ours. Right. You know, like go find your own stuff. So my six-year-old says, no, they should have shared what they had because they had plenty. Mm. Even though they had to work, they had enough food to at least give the grasshopper a bite to eat. Hmm. I love that little dude. <laughs> I know, right? So like out of the mouth of babes, right? So you're just like, so it kind of hits me of like, oh man, like in this season, there's a lot of people who are like, man, I've worked, I've worked for yeah. this. I've worked for the money that I have. So I have the opportunity to go buy abundance. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you haven't, you're out of luck. Right. right. And so one of the things that I think, one of the things that I have been wrestling with and God's just been working in my heart. Uh, and knowing we were going to talk about this this scarcity mentality today is for me to for me to be able to go out to a store and have the opportunity to buy a month's worth of toilet paper at any given time if mm. if there's some there is a complete privilege and so one of the things that uh, one of the, uh, so one of the things I think the church can enter into this time is one of the things I was talking about th this morning with with my class it was gratitude leads to groaning. Mm. And I've heard that a couple times. And it's this sense of 
if we take a posture of gratitude and thankfulness in the everyday things of life, God, thank you that I have enough toilet paper for the week, for the next two weeks. God, thank you that I actually have a roof over my head during this time. Thank you that I have two cars that when my wife and I both need to go to work, we have the opportunity to go as we please. Mm -hmm. God, thank you for the opportunity that my kids are able to have food on the table and have extra boxes of cereal in the garage. Thank you for those things. Mm -hmm. And for so much of my life, I would stop there. Mm. Just thankfulness. God, thank you. And and that's not bad. That's good. I should go to the Lord in gratitude. God, thank you for, because all good things come from you. Mm -hmm. So all of these good things that I have in my life are from you. Thank you. Thank you. But I think what recently that God's been doing is like, let that lead to groaning Mm -hmm. for the people that don't have that privilege. And so even in this scarcity mentality of, I might not have enough. The fact that you can even go to the store and you can make that choice and it doesn't come at a great cost to the rest of your bills. That's a privilege. Yeah. And it should lead to groaning for the people who have lived in a scarcity mentality their whole lives, mm-hmm. even before this pandemic. And so I think it's kind of led me to like, God, I, I, I've just started groaning for the poor. Yeah. And so I think the church can start to enter into that and lament and grieve um, and groan. Um, so I think the church can start to enter into some of that, yeah. that the gratitude should lead to groaning. Yes, be thankful for what God has given you and God has blessed you with, but it was never meant for your own good or for your own glory. It was always meant for the spread of the gospel. It was always meant to show your neighbor, to love your neighbor in a way that points back to the goodness of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Bro, I love that. Gratitude leading to groaning. Can I add another G to that? Yeah, let's go. G, G, G. I mean, triple G. This is what pastors do, right? We find alliteration in everything. And there's always got to be three. There's always got to be three. You have to have have an odd number. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I got four actually for you. I'm going to mess everything up. I'm going to mess it up. Because I think, I love that gratitude leads to groaning. Like, what are we, what are we? grateful for right it's like god has been gracious to us like Mm. god's graciousness in our lives should stir gratitude within our hearts which should as you just said so well lead us to groaning for those who are lacking which then should lead us to not just feeling sorry for them right but like now it it should move us to giving Mm. of ourselves yes because we know god's already been so gracious to us he's given us everything we need we know like just like he did for those disciples who had the 12 basketfuls at the end, like I can give freely and trust mm-hmm. God's going to replenish me. Yeah. Uh, or just as he did with Joseph and the Israelites for blessing Egypt and all the other nations, like he's going to give out of an abundance out of your scarcity. So that groaning then leads us to, I'm going to give, like mm. I have more than enough cereal boxes in my yeah. garage. I have, instead of being the dude who has thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer that he can't sell mm-hmm. for ridiculous amounts of money, and gets taken, like, <laughs> yeah. gets fined for it. Like, we could be like, you need some hand sanitizer? Let me bless you, right? Mm. We, we can give out of that 
knowing God is gracious, he will continue to provide. Uh, Which, let's bring it back to an odd number again, since so I don't throw it off. Which then our giving, it brings God glory, right? Mm. Like God has been gracious. It starts and ends with him. It's, It's really his power all the way through. But like God has been gracious to us, which stirs gratitude, leads us to groaning for those who are in need. So then we give freely because we we have a good, gracious, abundant God, and then that brings Him glory. Mm. How many more G's can we fit in there? I don't know. <laughs> if you're if you're keeping notes on this, you just write one big G. <laughs> We're just keeping it G, you know. Ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Next week, we're going to kind of flesh out what do we do with the fear and anxiety? We don't want to be dismissive of that either. But when you have those feelings of fear and anxiety, what do you do with those? And how should you approach God with those things? What, is, what does that look like? What is that? How does that manifest itself out in, in us? And then how do we go to the Father for truth? 